Every 30 seconds, somebody dies from hepatitis. In Victoria alone, 60,000 people are living with chronic hepatitis C. So, what does it mean to receive a diagnosis of hepatitis C? And how does it impact lives? I'm Tyler Wright, and together with Liverwell, I'm bringing you the story of Mandy Ritchie, hepatitis C survivor and advocate for hepatitis C risk management. Yeah, curious, ex- ex- exploring, uh, I had a great family, spent a lot of time um, out in the bush, so flora fauna is beautiful and special to me. Mandy was born in Melbourne and raised in Wedderburn, rural Victoria. Her early years were spent enjoying nature in a town of no more than 1,200 people. In her 20s, life took a turn and Mandy became an intravenous drug user. This is a method of drug use that allows drugs to enter the bloodstream via a needle. And what became a recreational habit on weekends soon became something she covered up as she went about her business in the community. It wasn't talked about, you know, when you went to your doctor, you you know, and, and out in the community, you wore long sleeves, you, you hid your track marks. Not having a dedicated space to learn about the risks of injecting meant that Mandy, along with others, would search the area for clean injecting equipment. You know, we used to we used to go to a chemist <laughs> and make up these bullshit stories about, you know, um, why we needed these syringes and you'd sort of doctor shop around the community of where these bloody um, chemists were. Mm. And there was one that was a known place that obviously had empathy and, and, and wanted people to have clean syringes that would um, hand them over. Um, and it, you know, I'm sure that in that space, that pharmacist um, and would have shared information about treatment, about risk, um, because you know, um, there, I knew that you know I'd had a conversation. You know, how come you do? You know, you, you're the one that lets us do this. Um, you know, buy these syringes, and it was like I'd prefer to know that you had a clean syringe. It wasn't until Mandy became pregnant that she was diagnosed with hepatitis C. At the time, the diagnosis was not hepatitis A and not hepatitis B. And this was years after having contracted the virus from what she suspects was an infected syringe. And then when it came up, hep C, um, the GP was um, quite... um, blunt you know you've got hepatitis c um it's not curable um and there was certainly the inference of i felt that he was looking at me as a drug user and judging that um not that that was my experience or the reason why i was there and i was told that um i would die from it at that stage yeah it was pretty and i can remember people would go yellow So, you know, you would see the actual um, changes in their skin. There was a jaundice that would appear. Um, And I never got that. But, you know, there were certainly people around me that had, um, that experienced that. And we sort of, we knew there was something wrong, but it wasn't promoted as in that that was a sign of hepatitis. The diagnosis led Mandy to become hypervigilant about cleanliness and left her with the feeling that she owed a certain amount of openness to those she came in contact with in order to prevent them from harm. And because I had was with my babies at that stage, 
there was a whole lot of paranoia that I lived with of this blood phobia. So, you know, um, you know, copious as amount of the bleach, you know, I would bleed um, and then it would be, you know, clean it up, clean it up, toothbrushes, raise, you know, everything was just kept out of, um, out of reach. But Having a hepatitis C diagnosis came with its challenges. Misunderstanding and stigma followed Mandy to her workplace. After having shared her positive hepatitis C status with a former sexual partner, word spread throughout the community. When I was working at a local um, little milk bar. So, you know, people were making sandwiches, doing coffee. Um, and people in the community came into the my employer, the owner of the business. Um, you know, we're not going to come in. Mandy's positive. She's handling food. Um, so he didn't sack me, but I resigned because it was just um, not a nice space to be in. But Mandy eventually found CAN, or the Country Awareness Network, that gave her resources and knowledge about hepatitis C. It was them who put Mandy in contact with a general practitioner that would assist with monitoring her health. I went on treatment for the hep C to clear the virus when I was 50, so that's eight years ago now. Um, and certainly leading up to making that decision of going on treatment, there was a lot more information around um, what the 10 to 15 years ago about yes, this is hep C, this is your genotype, this is the treatments. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, I felt a lot more informed about, you know, what was that, you know, what my virus was. Um, and it was certainly managed a lot better then. So I would have liver biopsies done at that stage to investigate what the progression. So I would have been living positive for a good 20 years by that stage of even thinking about going on treatment. She even saw the irony in having to inject herself as part of treatment. You know, I can remember before they did it that um, I saw the humour and it was like, if you ever give me a syringe with one of those little yellow caps on it, like what I used to use, don't, don't, I don't want to play. So by the time I did triple therapy, it was, um, I think I had a 70, 75% chance of clearing the virus on the treatment. Um, and that treatment was over 12 months, so long time, long time, triple therapy. And it went. I cleared it. After having been cleared of the virus, Mandy was asked to give a talk to community workers about helping those at risk of hepatitis C. And it was from this moment that she began to acknowledge the emotions that had built up throughout the years. So there were two aspects to really, really feeling free and empowered of um, my journey of being hep C positive and living um, without it was clearing the virus was one aspect, but the other aspect was letting go of all of the impacts of what, you know, those messages were, you know, you were going to die, you're, you, were, you didn't deserve the treatment. So there were all those messages out there and I'd internalise those, you know, you're not worthy of treatment, you're a junkie. Um, you, you, you know, you're costing up space. So eventually it was saying, you know, I had to let go of my own discrimination against myself that, that you know, I didn't think that I was worthy in that space and, and, and owning it and saying, yes, I was. 
After waiting 10 years, Mandy decided to study a diploma in community services, and her hard work has paid off. Been looking out on the horizon in the workforce and came across a peer support um, worker um, in the dual diagnosis unit here at Bendigo Health. So that's coexisting mental health AOD issues. Um, the applicants needed to have lived experience of both. <laughs> it was like, hello, you're talking about me. <laughs> um, so I was very fortunate to actually be successful in the process and yeah, really excited. Mandy says helping people manage risk is a key part in harm minimisation. You know, if you understand the way in which the person's at risk and you can normalise that behaviour. So someone's saying to me, Mandy, do you know that when you're doing that shit, this happens? I think mm. that that's okay. But it's the person, yeah, I think it's the person's ability to be able to normalise, you know, relate to what actions you're taking that put you at risk and normalise that and have the conversation. 